you know, bullshit, once it gets out there, once falsehoods get out there, it's really hard to clean up the system. Are you missing out on meaningful relationships hidden in your data? Unlock the whole story with ClickSense through personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash data stories. Hey everyone, it's a new data stories. Hi Enrico. Hey Moritz, how's it going? Good. Very good. Excited for this episode. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> another good one, I think. Yeah. So, shall we dive right in? Yeah. We should, yeah. So there's a couple of connections here. That's a really interesting one. So it's the, it's the second one in a series, basically. So some of you might recall we had Alberto Cairo on the show to talk about trumpery mm -hmm. and misinformation. And yeah. now we have a second one in this series of, uh, yeah, how... The relation of data and truth and uh, lying and bullshitting maybe too. And so we have two <laughs> real experts here um, in in the uh, latter area, in the area of bullshitting. And uh, it's Carl Bergstrom and Jevin West. Hi, guys. Hi, Morris. Hi, Hi Morris. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Hi, Enrico. Great to have you on. Uh, can you briefly introduce yourself? Uh, who are you? What are you doing? What's your area of expertise besides bullshitting maybe? So this is Jevin. Um, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Washington. Uh, I co-direct what's called the Data Lab at, in the Information School. Kind of our core um, area there is, uh, you know, data science around social issues. Um, so we work in developmental economics. We work in the science of science. We work in computational um, social science. We work in data curation. So everything around sort of the social issues of data science. Um, and we have, you know, uh, you know, 10 PhD students, um, other faculty, postdocs, et cetera. And so this, um, this particular course that Carl and I are going to talk about is sort of, uh, I can think central to, to sort of what we try to do um, in our lab and also on the education front. So I'm Carl Bergstrom. I'm a professor of biology at the University of Washington, and I'm trained as an evolutionary biologist, but I do a lot of work on the structure of science and how that impacts the conclusions that we draw these days. Jevin and I worked together for a number of years on things around uh, data visualization, data analysis, um, and the likes. So, Yeah, and that's also how we know each other, uh, coincidentally, because we've been working together eight years ago on a project called Verilformed Eigenfactor, <laughs> where we looked at information flow in science. Exciting project. And yeah, it's great to connect again. Yeah, that, that project is, you know, even today, after that many years, it's still, uh, people all still, I think, are looking at that and, and use that as sort of a model for many other projects that sort of have spurted out of the uh, science of science. So this is, yeah, it's a really a fun connection that we, that's being made right now. The audience doesn't know how special it is, <laughs> but I hope they do now. <laughs> yeah, and there's another connection even because last time, like last episode, we had Jack van Wyk on the show and he invented the hierarchical edge bundling technique that we used in that project. So uh, lots, <laughs> lots of connections all it's over all the It's all connected. Place. The universe it's is all connected. Together, you know? Exactly. So, but, but today we talk about a different topic. So the two of you launched a course together at the University of Washington, and it's called 
calling bullshit. It's <laughs> a very bold title. And I hear the course has sort of raised a lot of attention before it even started, right? And uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a bit about it, uh, how you came up with the idea and what you cover in the course? Sure. So uh, Carl and I for several years have been sharing examples of, of bullshit that we find in science and, and things that we find in social media. And pretty soon the, the file was getting so big um, <laughs> and the, the examples were getting so egregious that we thought, why don't we should teach a course on this and, and transfer some of these skills that we learn in our daily lives of peer reviewing papers and reports and proposals and see if we can, you know, it's probably could be probably the most important skill that that students learn. And today, you know, of all times, people are throwing data everywhere on their own website in, in news stories and somehow data almost looks more truthy than even sort of these rhetorical mm -hmm. arguments, um, you know, because there have been these lots of um, courses in the humanities and philosophy that, that, you know, have been talking about critical reasoning and data reasoning. But, but we, the focus of this class will be sort of the, the ways in which data can be manipulated. Yeah. So to kind of take you through what the class does in, in a brief um, summary, we start out by just thinking about what bullshit is in the first place. There's actually a reasonable amount of philosophy written on what bullshit is and some argumentation about whether bullshit is in the eye of the producer or the eye of the beholder. It's been a nice debate in, in the philosophy literature. We think about the way we're talking about calling bullshit. And so we think about the way that calling bullshit is itself a speech act. It's not a proposition. It's yeah, an yeah. active thing that you do that's, that has a certain force. And so we talk about that and we talk about how to do that without being an asshole. Uh, which is, I think, kind <laughs> of important. important too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so from there we go. We we look at how do you spot bullshit in the first place? Yeah. How can you be on the lookout for it? And we try to just instill these habits of mind where you're constantly thinking as you're reading stuff, whether it's in the New York Times or on Facebook or you know whatever. Um, you know, is is this right? Does this make sense? Is this even feasible? And and getting in the habits of sort of digging deeper into things that you actually care about, digging deeper before you share something stupid, for example. And then we go on, we talk about correlation and causation, because that's a common area for bullshit, essentially. We talk about statistical traps and the kinds of things that can trip people up. We look at, you know, as we're going forward, we're going to be looking at visualization and the way that people mislead others with visualizations. We are going to talk about big data and the way that the sort of cult of big data is used to promulgate extreme bullshit. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is we're, 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 we want to sort of even talk about the ethics of calling bullshit because in a lot of cultures, it's really scary for an individual um, especially younger uh, students that we talk a, a lot with to, to call bullshit, but we want them to be mm -hmm. able to call bullshit and also receive the calling of bullshit. So we'll have, we'll talk about the ethics, ethics of calling bullshit. Um, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk about some of the ways we call it the natural ecology of bullshit. So the environments in which this kind of information falsehoods really fly faster. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll talk about, you know, their social media environments and talk about some of the papers that are being written by researchers in this area. But what's crazy is you, you had mentioned this sort of class took off. It was, we went at, when we released the course on January 11th, we went to bed and that night thinking, well, I hope a couple of our friends think this is cool because we put a lot of effort into it. And, <laughs> and we woke up and there was just tens of thousands of people from all over the world. And it's just when we registered the class, it was registered within a minute. So I think it's really resonating. And, and we want to take advantage of this moment where critical reasoning and data reasoning is now cool with students. 
So that's sort of what we're trying to take advantage of. But the other thing I wanted, since you guys are on the radio, this is a question I'm going to flip back at you guys because you guys know language is better than Carl and I. When we, in, in the English language, call bullshit and calling bullshit, it carries a certain weight. And there's very few synonyms that sort of, um, sort of, um, you know, mirror that particular calling. And so is there, in, in other languages, do you know, how is it used? And I think it would be useful because you have such an international audience for this, for this show. You know, how, how else, how else, um, you know, is there different ways in which it's used in, in these different languages? <laughs> That's a great question. I have yeah. to think about it. Uh, I don't think there is an equivalent in Italian, but maybe in the slang from the region I come from, there's something similar, but I'm, I'm not sure I can say it on the <laughs> You think your mom might be listening? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty rude. Okay. So it's a worse word than, than bullshit is like, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, the, yeah. In German, we actually use the English word. Oh, so Really? I don't think there is like a German word as, yeah, as far as I, I would yeah, say so. Yeah. I know in Swedish that, that there's skitbra or there's very different versions of it, but it's, it's sort of over the, over time has, has lost its sweariness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually, um, a quite neutral term that, that still means something, but it's not like for, uh, you know, I imagine this, at least from my Swedish friends, if you said it, online, it wouldn't be a problem, but it sounds like an Italian, it's different. And then German, I'm already learning something on the show, right, on how we use it. I mean, and the reason why we care about this is that we do, um, you know, we're working with some individuals to translate our course material into other languages. And we want to be sensitive to how it's being used. So again, a lot of our content is going to be pretty, it, it, you know, it deals with statistics, machine learning, it, does, it, it deals with logical fallacies, which, you know, that's translatable from one language to another. But there's this calling part that if we want to make this okay in society, <laughs> we need to be careful of the different yeah, languages. Yeah, that's true. So uh, maybe we start with the meaning of the word, really, like how, how in your view or in the view of researchers is bullshit different from language? or from uh, hoaxes or pranks or just misinformation, propaganda. You know, there's like a lot of words that all deal with misinformation or wrong information. How, how is bullshit special? That's a great question. We've thought about that a fair bit. Our idea with bullshit is that it's bullshit is what someone produces when they are indifferent to the truth. They don't they're not trying to trick you. Mm. They don't care one way or another. They're just indifferent. They're just blustering. They just want you to think that they know what they're talking about. And so they <laughs> use big words. They make stuff up and they just uh -huh. kind of babble on. And this is kind of what makes it so dangerous, according to the sort of philosophers of bullshit, is that it uh, is, is, is this indifference to the truth. With a liar, you know where that liar stands. Mm. With a bullshitter, mm -hmm. there's just there's there's no connection at all. And I think that kind of bullshit can be very common. It's we. It's what we train students to do if they're running out of time and they haven't started their term paper yet. Is you know they aren't actually trying to tell you anything. They're just trying to make you think that they've read the book and know what they're talking about. And we do that a lot ourselves, I believe, in normal interactions <laughs> yeah. with people because yeah. we're trying to make a good impression about ourselves. We're not actually interested sure. in the message we're sending. We're trying to say like, I'm smart. I'm I'm really cool. I did this amazing thing, whatever. And that's when we start making bullshit. So there's a fine line between just 
let's say trying to impress somebody or like exaggerating maybe a bit <laughs> and then at some point if you do that too much you you uh, enter the the bullshit territory is what do you say i think that's basically right the thing that we really stress in the course is that there's a is that bullshit and calling bullshit are really different things bullshit is kind of mm -hmm. narrow yeah but calling bullshit is really broad you can call bullshit on a lie you can also call bullshit on injustice you know something's wrong about the way that the Laws are set up. You say that's bullshit. <laughs> What we want to stress in the class is, you know, not only to look at this kind of narrow sense bullshit, because I do think that social media is a particularly virulent place for that to promulgate. But we want to stress that even for things that are lies or whatever, where people are deliberately trying to deceive you, how do you detect that and how do you refute it? Yeah. So, do you think that in order to do some bullshit, you you have to have also some some carelessness? You just don't care right so you're yes. talking about something and you you don't even think about whether you're right or wrong you, you you just pretend i'm wondering if it if it if it gets some some if it takes some specific kind of personality to, to do that right there's certainly a personality spectrum <laughs> there were a bullshit first yeah, yeah I, i'd be very surprised <laughs> if there were people that never bullshitted but but maybe well and and, and in regards to that yeah. i guess i would actually assume that everyone to some extent bullshits because there's you know we have limited resources for time yeah. and whatever you're trying yeah, exactly. to go after and one of the things that carl and i've been talking about in in our class as an assignment is to help students become um, bullshit neutral. So, you know, we live in Seattle and everyone's trying to be carbon neutral. Could we, you know, <laughs> teach people to start to, um, you know, clean up as much yeah. of the bullshit that they create? So if they create, we're all creating bullshit. <laughs> Can we figure out ways of refuting bullshit um, throughout the day and sort of clean it up? So and that sort of starts with the assumption that everyone's sort of creating, for the most part, creating mm -hmm. bullshit. <laughs> so that's kind of like sustainable bullshit. Yeah, sustainable <laughs> bullshit. You got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Kevin keeps coming back to these sort of conservation metaphors, and I'm coming around to this. Is this idea, you know, in the 1970s, we had to really get people to care about their physical environment in the United States. People just threw their trash anywhere and nobody cared. And we had these pretty heavy yeah. uh, you know, public information and public relation campaigns to say, you know, let's not litter our environment. This is our country. It's beautiful. Let's not you know, make it full of crap. And Jevin keeps coming back to these ideas, which I think are not completely crazy that we need to do the same thing about our information environment in the, in the late 2010s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's, we live in information ecologies and we have to clean that mess up. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. We, we are. And actually a big part of that, I mean, you guys are the experts on this is on the information visualization because anyone, you know, most of the public might not deeply understand a P value or deeply understand a nearest neighbor algorithm or, or, you know, whatever that they're hearing about um, in some sort of technical science paper, but they do think, they understand visualization and they do think they can create visualization well and and I mean you guys know this better than we do but you know there's just so much um, uh, there's so much manipulation and sometimes nefarious and sometimes non-nefarious examples just on the visualization side so if you guys at, on you got you two are responsible for helping clean clean that up too <laughs> I don't know if we can get this responsibility, but <laughs> it's a big job. It's a yeah, big you're job. doing it with yeah. this. I think with it, partly with the show and, well, and the other things you're writing about. Moritz, you had an article that I that I read recently that I really liked that where you talked about sort of the the problems with a lot of data visualization. You kind of broke things up into two categories, and one of the one of the categories that you talked about was was number decoration, and it was just these <laughs> dashboards that you know essentially are providing five or six numbers or maybe eight 
but they've got all these fancy pictures and speed di- speed dials and all of this kind of stuff yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. And this strikes me as really classic bullshit because the idea is that there's all this decoration on there and none of it is mm-hmm. serving to actually convey any other extra information. All it's doing is making is making you think, wow, that designer is really good. She's got a wonderful eye for color and 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 she can really use that program or whatever it is, which is bullshit. It's communicating about the it's communicating about the communicator in the guise of communicating information. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. No, there's definitely something to it. Also, the other side is like if you just put out numbers and say like, well, the numbers, they speak for themselves. I don't do anything to them. But how you select those numbers right. and in which contexts you sort of drop the right numbers or not and which ones you leave out can can be bullshitting too just by a, a totally undecorated data set might be bullshitting too, right? So, yeah. Are, are there any like, like uh, you must have studied a lot of like different types of bullshit. Are there any tips on how you can detect bullshit? Like, sure. I, I feel there's like at some set, at some point you develop a certain sense of, ah, this might be bullshit, even if you know nothing about the domain really yeah. because there are certain communication patterns maybe or some tricks people play are there some patterns you have identified that can help detect bullshit definitely we've done you know some introspection trying to think about what is it that we're actually doing when we sense that something is bullshit and one of the most important ones is just to look at a claim and if it seems too good or too bad to be true it probably <laughs> is even if the claim supports yeah. whatever side you like supports whatever beliefs you have, if the effect size is really big, maybe implausibly big, it's probably bullshit and you need to look into what's going on there. So that's one of the things we're really teaching our students to think about is always question that and be really well aware of confirmation bias. The idea that if you know somebody comes and says, wow, um, you know, something I don't believe is, is really true, then I'll say bullshit. But if someone says, oh, this thing I believe is true, then I'm likely to just say, oh, yeah, sure, that's got to be right. And so, you know, checking out all of those kinds of things, I think, is super important. Um, one of the things we're really stressing in the class is that, you know, when you because since we're thinking about the way people bullshit with facts and figures and, and algorithms and statistical analyses, is that you don't have to necessarily understand the statistical analysis at the heart of, of a claim. Uh, if you just think carefully about what you think of the statistical analysis as a black box and you think carefully about, well, what are, what are the data that come go in? Are those reasonable? Are they selected in a fair way? Are they even capable of uh, supporting the kind of claims that are going to be made? And then you look at what comes out and say, you know, is this reasonable? Is it the right order of magnitude? Does it, you know, is it fairly presented? And so we really think that we can teach people to call bullshit without having to unpack the, the, um, big data algorithm that's being used or whatever it is in the center to, to kind of drive things mm-hmm. through. Yeah. I mean, just to give you a, just a quick little easy example that you're, when we talk to freshman students um, at a university, they hear averages all the time. And if they just, if they understand, I know it sounds so basic, something you learn in middle school, the difference between mean, median and modes, uh, they'll, they'll get a sense of when people are manipulating these kinds of very simple metrics to tell the story that they want. So if you ask a lot of people, you say, so, you know, what's the mean income in the United States? That tells a much different story than something that, you know, is, is closer to the median. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. these kinds of things. It's sort of teaching them really, I mean, because re- we really want wide reach with this content. 
content at first, and then we'll probably splinter into more, uh, more maybe more sophisticated material. But we can get a lot by just teaching people to do what Carl said. You know, question when it sounds too good to be true. That's probably one of the biggest ones. The other things in spotting bullshit is just asking about where the source is coming from. Who you know? Who is telling me this? Why are they telling me this? And what do they have to gain from what they're telling me? And and it sounds like a, it's it's kind of a cynical view, but we need to be a little cynical in in today's uh, you know digital environments. Yeah, no, I have to say, and 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 bullshit can you you can almost imagine this as as a pipeline, right? Things can happen at every stage <laughs> of this pipeline. That's right. right. The time, the, <laughs> right? So one could almost draw this pipeline and figure out what kind of bullshit can be created at the food chain, stage, yeah? right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there yeah, is the a there is a food chain. Food bullshit, chain. Yeah. bullshit comes out. <laughs> So another case that comes into my mind when I'm reading scientific articles is that the, the question seems reasonable, the outcome seems to confirm the initial hypothesis, but the way this has been done is so complex and unnecessarily complex that you just have to, it, it's a huge leap of faith, right? Would you call this bullshit as well? That's a hard question. It depends a lot on whether the complexity is because I don't know the subject area or, or, or whether the complexity is because the person's actually done something kind of stupid. And so yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. it's, if I'm reading a, if I'm reading a, a you know, quantum entanglement paper, it's going to be exactly like you described, <laughs> yeah, but sure. it's not going to be bullshit. It's going to be the fact that I don't understand <laughs> yeah, quantum course. entanglement yeah, yeah. despite my yeah. best efforts. Yeah, yeah. If I'm reading yeah, a paper yeah. in evolutionary theory and it's like that, then something's very wrong. And then yeah. yes, there's probably some bullshit here. There's no reason that we need to go through all of this messy apparatus to show that these data lead to this claim. And if someone is doing all this messy apparatus, there's, they've got to be hiding something or they're really incompetent. <laughs> I think more specifically, I was I was thinking about those cases where it's clearly overly complex, and it seems it seems to hide something behind mm. complexity, right? <laughs> right. No, I think there's a fair bit of that that goes on, and I yeah. think in the kind of big data arena, that seems to be particularly common now. We're really vulnerable in big data because you take something like a deep learning algorithm. And even the authors don't understand what the hell it's actually doing. You get this input and then it does yeah. some stuff and then you don't know why it does that. No one knows why it does that. But then it does a thing on the output. It makes, you know, it can, it can all of a sudden paint these beautiful pic, you know, take, take a photograph and paint these beautiful pictures in the style of different artists or whatever. No one really understands how it's working. And so I think we need to be particularly skeptical there. Um, even of stuff we're doing ourselves to just make sure that it's actually doing what we think and we're not kind of ascribing more power to this than, than it actually mm -hmm. has. Yeah, you know, and one thing I, I just want to build on what you're saying, Enrico, because uh, you brought up the, the scholarly communication bit. You know, Carl uh, has been writing a, a lot recently about publication bias, you know, along with other people in the literature right now. And this is really important because um, th this is a sort of a form of bullshit going on in science where we tend to only publish things that, that have this arbitrary value of 0.05. And if that's all that mm. we're seeing, we're not, I mean, it's really a, a clouded picture of, of reality. And it's, I think it's a really, uh, it's a dangerous um, sort of rut that we're in right now in science. Um, not to say that, you know, we all, we're very careful because when we talk about this, we don't want people, you know, the general public to think science is completely broken. It's just, this is oh, something yeah. uh, within science that we... It's the only hope we have. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That, that's the way I see it. That, that, that's really, we didn't invent any alternatives yeah, yeah. so far. Right. So. Like democracy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad, but better than... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly like democracy. That's, uh, you know, exactly. it's the worst system except for all the alternatives. <laughs> I mean, I think this 
one of the things we're going to cover, talk about a lot in the class is this issue of publication bias and how bullshit comes perhaps unintentionally into science. And that mm -hmm. may be bullshit mm -hmm. more largely construed rather than this kind of narrow definition we were talking about before. But teaching people how to be skeptical of things, even that they see in the published literature, um, even in a really good journal, just by understanding the, uh, the fact that you can't publish something unless you get a positive result. And so if there's something a lot of people were working on and it's not actually true, then um, you'll still you'll still see those false positives coming up in the literature and that you won't necessarily see the negatives because it's very hard to get those published. And then that can give you this really, really confusing picture. There was a remarkable study in, in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine, I believe, that was done about uh, 10 years ago where somebody at the FDA looked at all of the clinical trials of antidepressants. And so if you look at the published literature, you see that there's uh, there almost all of the clinical trials of antidepressants were successful. But if you look at what had actually been registered with the F FDA, more than half of the trials had been unsuccessful. And some of the ones that were reported as successful were just reported as successful by uh, manipulating the, the desired um, outcomes that they were measuring and things like this. And so what it, you know, if you had the whole picture that the FDA had, you get a very, very different story. You know, at least half of these things aren't working than the one that was in the published literature that scientists had access to. Mm -hmm. So I think this kind of thing is quite common. It's just usually we don't have that information in the in the background. So we don't know. You know the FDA knows and we could look at that. But usually we don't know what have people have sitting in their desk drawers. So it's called the desk drawer effect, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, you mentioned biases before. I was thinking about maybe like maybe we are bullshitting ourselves quite often as well. Like we come into the world oh, with preconceived yeah. notions and we just collect more information that confirms our preconceived notions. And so we're in these bubbles and we think everything's fine. So basically that's like self-bullshitting, right? Does that happen too? Neil Postman, um, the American sociologist, his, his third law of bullshit turns out to be that at any given time, the source of bullshit that we have to be most concerned with is ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's spot on. I mean, it's one of the things, uh, one of the the many reasons that Carl and I wanted to put together this course, because we wanted to get better at calling bullshit on ourselves, because there's so many times when we're working on some project or some paper, and if we're humans, so we want something to show up, uh, you know, to land, you know, in nature, that we're human, but but we have to be careful of that. We got it. We got to do a better job of calling bullshit on ourselves as much as even just things that we see in our our digital environments. So there is also the famous uh, sentence from Feynman, you are the easiest person to be fooled, right? Or something like that. Richard Feynman. Yeah, no, I, I kind of recollect it. I don't know. If her, I can't think oh, of yeah, it verbatim. I can't tell you verbatim. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's, I think that's spot on. Do you have any striking examples of what, what's the biggest bullshit you've encountered or like the, <laughs> the, the weirdest uh, stories people made other people believe? Do you have any good, any good anecdotes? Yeah. So, I mean, I, this is more of a U.S. centric example and it's not within science, but it's a um, it, it, it's it's a pretty sad story about um, a, just a ridiculous a spreading of of bullshit. So you guys have probably heard of Pizzagate. So this is the the this situation where there were um, some false news stories about a restaurant in Washington D.C. Right. housing yeah, um, yeah. A, a child, uh, you know, a sex ring that was being run by you know Hillary Clinton. Of course, this was complete false, and even <laughs> even those that had 
were promulgating this were saying, okay, later on, they said, okay, it was false. Um, It's not true. That there was a young man from the Carolinas came with a gun and and came guns blazing into this this um this restaurant well he found it wasn't true and he of course felt bad he was trying to do what was he was trying to save some kids well the worst part the worst part is that um not too long ago a couple weeks after this had been even refuted by those that were pushing this falsehood there were there were um protests outside the white house with t-shirts saying pizzagate is real this is a conspiracy to cover this up people still believe this so this is a this is um under this is sort of uh goes along with the the brandolini asymmetry principle, which is that, you know, bullshit, once it gets out there, once falsehoods get out there, it's really hard to clean up the system. So, uh, you know, once falsehood flies, the, the truth comes limping after sort of thing. So this is this is an example that um, we really, uh, you know, these are these kinds of examples are real. These are these are affecting people's lives. It's sort of life or death. We even see tweets from you know, these saber rattling tweets from the, the like Pakistani Israeli defense men or, or the Pakistani defense minister tweeting back to Israel saying, you know, don't forget we have uh, nukes too when they, and they, cause they were responding to a fake news article. So oh world preservation is at stake yeah. here as long, you know, as well as democracy and everything else. So, so that, that's where it, uh, they're silly, but then they can really move up to some serious consequences. So this is, yeah, this is something we're concerned about. So uh, another thing that we wanted to ask you, I think at the beginning you mentioned that uh, an important part of the course is to teach students how to actually call bullshit. So can you tell us more about what the strategies are there, how to do it properly? I really like the fact that you are considering the, the ethics side of, of this problem. And uh, I'm curious to hear, how, how do you do it properly? So <laughs> teach us how to call bullshit in the uh, right way. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about technique and maybe Jevin can tell you a little bit about ethics if he wants to add anything. One of my yeah. <laughs> favorite ways of calling bullshit because it's effective both to popular audiences and to technical audiences is reductio ad absurdum. And so what the idea is you say, okay, if I follow from the same premises you're using to get your result, then these ridiculous results also follow. And one of my favorite examples, there was a paper that was published I think kind of as a joke, but no one's admitted that it was a joke in nature <laughs> about a little over 10 years ago where a group of statisticians did linear regressions on the um, the 100-meter dash times of men and women. And so the 100-meter dash times of women were getting better faster than the 100-meter dash times of men. And so the conclusion of the nature paper was that based on these linear regressions, the uh, women would start running faster than men around 2162. Um, and so a bunch of people wrote in to try to debunk this. There's a beautiful, uh, letter from a Texas high school statistics class that explains what's wrong with this. But my favorite response is a reductio where somebody says, well, you know, that's really cool. Um, it's really interesting to see that, but you've missed the really exciting thing because, um, your model predicts that there's going to be a really fantastic race in, uh, around 2650 when people will actually record <laughs> negative times in the 100-meter <laughs> Yeah, it's a perfect reductio. Yeah, yeah. And nice, so, nice. yeah. yeah. On, the, on the ethics side, I mean, we keep it pretty simple for the students in our class. We, we say that you can't have ad hominem attacks, so you don't attack the, the, the person, you attack the argument. And that right there sort of, you know, you know there's a lot of other these, these uh, sort of other minor things, but that's one of the, the biggest things. And also there's, there has to be some sort of respect and 
civility uh, in in a room where there's going to be people with divergent uh, or lots of different backgrounds and expertise, and so there needs to be a respect for that kind of expertise. One of the things that we're we we we're again being very careful about because we do attack things in science. We don't want um, we don't want students to feel have their their grounding completely shaken um, with saying that you know nothing out there is true. It's all bullshit. So we're sort of doing that balance act. So I think that goes along with the ethics of refutation too. That that you got to you have to have some grounding in in what's true. And philosophers for centuries have been talking about this problem when you can't reconcile on a third part, if you can't reconcile on a third party, and, and right now, you know, we can't, hmm. you know, at least in the US, we can't really reconcile even on media anymore. The, the only thing you can do is dialogue. So create basically, so the, the sort of, um, you know, sort of ethical thing to do is to, is to sort of agree to talk um, and to talk in a civil way. But I mean, the main, the main one is sort hmm. of not attacking character um, and, and sort of uh, attacking argument. Giving people the idea, look, if I call bullshit on you, Jevin, that's not a diss. This is, I'm not saying that you're stupid or something like that. Even though I may be. And then you have to interpret that as not being an insult. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. you say, oh, mm-hmm. he thinks that, you know, this argument doesn't hold. And, and we do this to each other all the time, of course. And and so far, so good. Jevin was referring to this issue of, of kind of confusion or just the... the the bad state of affairs we have in the United States where people can't even agree on the baseline for how to talk about things. And this, I think, has become a really a enormous problem in the U.S. It's been described as epistemic tribalism, where people not only disagree on what to do, given the facts, but they disagree on the facts, and they even disagree on the procedures by which we should find the facts. <laughs> Talk about facts, yeah. <laughs> no, and that's also the, it's a bit the, also the, the knife to a gunfight problem in the sense that if you have a very capable bullshitter, he has, or the, they have a much bigger arsenal of things they can do than somebody who is sincere, right? So, so if you have a very capable bullshitter, they can do maneuvers to always you know it's like like a wet piece of soap or like a fish you know it always jumps away whatever you do I, yeah. I was involved in in the uh, efforts to sort of refute intelligent design creationism in the US in the, in exactly. the early 2000s yeah. these are hard discussions right it's it's really hard. Right. really hard very dangerous to debate these guys you have a you have a sort of world renowned yeah. evolutionary biologist on one side and some snake who's willing to lie through his teeth on the other side, and the snake wins every time. And it's not that hard for a bullshitter, for a professional bullshitter, to play with people's minds, right? If you know how to do it, it's not that hard, right? So that's that's also an issue there, right? Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you something um, related to calling bullshit again to the ethics and how to do it properly. I think that's a very fine line and it's very hard to walk, right? So one one thing that I noticed in the past is that, for instance, one problem is uh, uh, whether you do it in public or in private, right? That's, that's one issue, right? Good point. And another aspect is whether you give the person that I think my, my rule of thumb, I always give the benefit of the doubt, right? Yep. It's possible that the person, right? I think that that's a very important thing, right? Even in those cases where it's creates it's pure bullshit, right? But <laughs> okay, 
I just want to give you the benefit of the doubt, right? So t- tell me what's your story. Why did you do? Why, why do you say that, right? And I think that's very important because our we are always tempted to just say, "Hey, come on, that's bullshit." Right. Right? It's so easy to say that, right? That's our gut reaction, right. and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree a hundred percent, Enrico. And I think I think we're going to bring you as a guest speaker into our class uh, when we get in this section <laughs> yeah. because I think I think you're I think you're really you got it right. I think it's we should. That's something we. We, we should tell the students. I mean, always yeah. that's like sort of rule number two, get, you know, give the person the benefit of the doubt and then, and then move on from there. But I think that's a, that's a, that's a great way to do it. And also just, you know, one thing we do in science is if we see something wrong, I, at least a lot of people do, they'll, they'll email the author directly. Um, mm-hmm. And if they get have a public touch, conversation, at least they're not broadsided. Right, if we do this on the website, when we, we have a bunch of case studies and if we're talking about an academic paper, we always write the author and offer them an attend, uh, offer them space on our web page to. We say, yep. before we post, we say here's what we've here's what we're going to put up, um, and you can have space to say anything you want. You can call us jerks. You can do anything you want to, um, in the in that space, and and so you know it also gives them a chance to say to us like, hey, you've totally misunderstood what I did. Like, go back and look carefully. Uh, we haven't had that happen yet, but just that notion of you know, creating this open way for people to be able to talk and having enough respect to give somebody the chance to respond, I think is remarkably important. Yeah. One, one good strategy. So I have kids, Enrico, you have kids too. Carl, I know you have kids too. So, so kids are pretty good at cutting through our bullshit just by asking why. And if, you know, if you keep asking why long enough, the, the, <laughs> the raw bullshit like dissolves into like, uh, Moritz, I can tell you my five-year-old even just this week was, was wondering about the tooth fairy. He wasn't so sure about it. He, he wanted yeah. to know, you know, how is it that the tooth fairy, exactly, um, you know, yeah. could go to every house in one night and, uh, you know, and, and get all, you know, pay for all the teeth. And then the Easter bunny, he's been, qu- he's been questioning. You're right. They, they do a good job of sort of questioning those things. Yeah, that's true. The tooth fairy is the first bullshit we, we encountered. <laughs> and Santa, of course. And Santa. <laughs> they go handy in hand. This is where it all starts. Yeah. Well, I could go on forever. It's such a fun topic and so tricky, right? Because it I is. think, I mean, the, the, the real problem is that both on the side of the bullshitter and the person who has to call bullshit, you have to go against your natural inclination, right? It looks to me that our brains are not very good at doing both things. So right. <laughs> it's like resisting bullshit and criticizing bullshit in a proper way. Right. These are two hard things to do. They, they definitely are. They definitely are. And, you know, you're, you have an audience here and if people have ideas and they want to share it, I mean, they, um, we're, we're, we're trying to be as active as we can um, on our Twitter account on the Colin underscore bull. They can go to our website, callingbullshit.org, or we have a sanitized version too if people don't like the use of, of bullshit. We have, uh, it's called callingbull.org. But what we're trying to do is just, yeah, come he, he up. wrote a script to take out all the bad words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. That was yeah. fun. So, uh, yeah, because we really want to aim this at high schoolers. And like you said, more, it's even just right. our kids are good at this. Maybe, you know, be sort of treating, you know, teaching these kinds of skills. It's even just real basic digital skills on, you know, doing, you know, a little bit of filtering themselves. And I think they do. I think we should give them more credit than 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 we do. Um, so, so the idea is just trying to create a discussion around this is sort of one of our 
big missions. And, you know, any, anytime people have ideas, you know, where, you know, we can, we'll pass other people's tools that they have, uh, you know, through our, the channels. So just basically let's keep the conversation, keep the conversation going. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks for collecting all this material. Like the website already has like really great articles, lots of links to all the philosophical papers. I was enjoying those quite a bit. So uh, make, make sure to check those out. And will you also post the videos? I've seen there's a few video lectures already. Will you keep posting more? Yeah, we will. We're going to be posting the lectures as they occur. So we're we're right now, awesome. we've yeah. done four lectures in the class. We've got first yeah. ones up, second ones coming up. As you know, there's a lot of editing and production and such to do. So we're yeah. lagging by a couple of weeks. And But, but yeah, we'll be releasing the, the, the week number two um, in a couple of days. And then we'll have, you know, week three will be after that. Yep, but we'll be posting these. And then just the other thing is we'll have a full version of the course in the fall a three credit version, which there'll, there'll even be more content, but we'll just keep pushing content from based on ideas that other people have and things that we find in the literature. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's such a simple like idea, but nobody has tackled it that head on, I think in, you know, in teaching and academia. And, uh, I think it's very, uh, uh, it's a great initiative on your part. Thanks. Well, guys. thank you so much guys. And so, thanks, thanks yeah. for having us. This is, this has been fun. And, you know, it was, I'm glad that you had, had sent this invitation because it gave me a chance to look at other people that you guys are interviewing on the show. And I think you guys got something good going yourself. So thanks for having us. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Bye -bye. Thanks a lot. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, here are a few ways you can support the show and get in touch with us. First, we have a page on Patreon where you can contribute an amount of your choosing per episode. As you can imagine, we have some costs for running the show and we would love to make it a community-driven project. You can find the page at patreon.com slash datastories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. Just search us in iTunes store or follow the link in our website. And we also want to give you some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're of course on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories, but we also have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash datastoriespodcast, and we also have a newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox, go to our homepage, datastories, and look for the link that you find in the footer. And finally, you can also chat directly with us and other listeners using Slack. Again, you can find a button to sign up at the bottom of our page. And we do love to get in touch with our listeners. So if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know amazing people you want us to invite or projects you want us to talk about, let us know. That's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories. Data Stories is brought to you by Click. Are you missing out on meaningful relationships hidden in your data? Unlock the whole story with ClickSense through personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. That's q-l-i-k dot slash data stories.